0: Uh, let's, we can get started. Yeah. Okay. Well, we should answer the question first. Uh, uh, whether or not we swear?
1: Yeah.
0: I'm not answering that question. Well, I am. That asked a question that I don't want to answer at all. (laughs) That (laughs) is is outside the bounds, sir.
2: Love it. Okay. You can swear if you want. Yeah. You know, it's the, am I speaking with a client? Or um, can I just
0: speak quarterly with, you know, colleagues? Speak as you would normally speak to friends. Done.
1: Okay. You're listening to the Can't Sell This Podcast with your hosts, Hugh Elliott and Stefan Grambart.
0: Stefan. Hugh. I am, as I always say, so excited to be in studio again. At uh, Supersonics, Supersonics, is that what it's called? Supersonics post-production in beautiful Toronto, Ontario, Canada. Uh, We never actually say where we record. No. I I felt like maybe it would be good to mention it. We have said where we recorded in the past, but that place is shut down, not due to us. As well, far as I'm as aware, as far as we know, yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm pretty sure it wasn't us, but it could have been. Not my problem no. if it was anymore. It was us. Jeff is pointing at us. Jeff Wright, all, as always, working the board uh, so helpfully.
1: Hello, yes, thank you.
0: Yeah, that's that's what I was hoping for him to break in. Stefan, I don't get to see you all that much. You've been away. I have been. I'm very glad to be back in beautiful Toronto. Are you? Because I kind of think you had a great time in the UK. All right, I'm not going to lie. I had a very good time. And you're starting school and yeah. So, I'm I'm, I'm finally going to finish grade 6 math. I think that's a big deal. Yeah. The important thing is it's now new math. What? Yeah. And that's not as much oh, fun. Nobody told me this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's in Spanish. Oh no. Yeah. So, ¿dónde está la biblioteca? No Nuev- es not math. Nuevo. nuevo. Nuevo matemática. Um. Sí. Ah, see. Sí. <laughs> Mucho color <laughs> Eso es muy hilarante. At any rate, oh but wait. So, I'm... No más. No ma mes. <laughs> No es bueno. Okay, moving on from horrible Spanish into English, which we also don't have a great control of. But, Stefan, one more time. Hello. Hugh. Um, we have with us in the studio Eugene Andrew Tanko, Andrewchenko. Andrew yeah, and he is a gosh, I, I would even I would go so far as to call you a Renaissance man, mm-hmm. because you have your fingers in many pies, figuratively, not a baker, not literally okay. that would be a ren pie since.Laughter) All right. <clears throat> one of the one of the coolest things is I've known uh, Eugene for, oh gosh, I would say probably about 10 years, maybe 11. Yeah. So I, I'll tell you what I remember. <clears throat> I remember interviewing you when I worked at an advertising agency. And <clears throat> the long and short of that story is he was like, I want your job. I don't want to work for you. And then he, like, essentially flipped the table and, and walked out. And I was like, oh, wow, that's uh, – a." a strong reaction. Eugene. Kismet ever since. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Strange bedfellows. He then, yeah, I mean, figuratively <laughs> speaking. Yeah. <laughs> Anyways, one of the most interesting things about uh, what Eugene is, is up to is it's never the same thing. And he really blew me away in the fact that he was a, a really talented developer. Knew all about Ruby on Rails. Uh, had his uh, mitts on uh, back-end technologies, front-end technologies, really understood development, and I was always really impressed by that. And then one of our conversations turned into finding out he was a gearhead and uh, built his own, uh, was working on his own muscle car. Oh, cool. On top of being a BMX stunt rider. So uh, Eugene, in the past, was quite active in the BMX community and, and, and would uh, ride. I don't know. Were you, were you sponsored at all? Were you professional? No, I used to compete at expert level, which mm. was just below sponsorship. Like
2: you get floated stuff or you're what's called a, on part of the float team, uh, which means you get parts. You don't get paid. Oh, okay. And, uh, they, they would throw you merch here and there. It's like, cool, wear our
0: shirt, go talk about our brand. Um, yeah. Yeah. So that was one of the interesting things. And then Over the course of probably about a decade, uh, he got very wrapped up in blockchain, got really wrapped up in Bitcoin. uh, And I was always very impressed with his ability to sort of forecast what was going to be interesting to everyone uh, way in advance. Like he was doing Bitcoin mining before I'd heard anything about it. And by the time he was, by the time I was interested, he was like, Oh, no, you don't even want to get into that because there's just not worth it. You know, like, Oh, I've got a lot, but you don't want to get into it because it's just going to cost you a ton of money. And which is great advice when you're dealing with Bitcoin being crazy expensive. And, and really, the cost of Bitcoin mining is all electricity, you know? So that was really exciting. And then one day he sent me a, a link and he said hey by the way I'm launching a Kickstarter and it was for something called Game Boy Zero Pocket Express no Game Boy Zero Pocket All-In-One Pocket All-In-One yeah Gabozi Pacayo <laughs> yeah and, and, <laughs>
2: you go ahead it's, I, like, no, I want to hear y- this this y- is I, I know where this is leading to it's, it's, it's understanding that story and how it came to fruition um so, I'll, I'll give you... I'll rewind a couple more decades. Oh. Uh, nice. I've, I've actually been, you know, working since the tender mild age, mild age of about 18 and a half. Uh, I started at Sun Microsystems doing hardware support uh, and eventually hardware development within Sun. So, this is 96 through 99. Uh, for those of you that don't know those eras, it was a long time ago. Yeah. It, this is pre-millennial, pre, you know, Cell 2000 phones, bomb. even. Yeah. And... You know, at the time, you know, I really had an interest in hardware. So, my dad's an engineer. We had always been exposed to technology. Uh, You know, I had learned to solder memory on old computers, like 8088s, like your first computers that had like 4.77 megahertz processors, like I think faster than my computer runs. Right. Um, So, there was always this innate... Uh, interest in just hardware and making things work and how do they work and, you know, all these kind of things. But at the time, working at Sun, you couldn't really make electronics a hobby at home the way it is today. Uh, It was still relatively expensive, and at the time, I do remember, you know, our boss would be telling us off that we're blowing all these EEPROM chips. For those of you that don't understand or don't know, EEPROM is electronic, erasable, programmable, read-only memory. And these little bytes, like 4K of memory, would cost about five pounds to seven pounds. And this, I was working in the UK, so about 15 bucks uh, or whatever the currency translates to. So I kind of took a hiatus from hardware as I moved into software development, uh, compiling, uh, writing compilers and this. And then it wasn't until about, you're right, about 10 years ago when we met that, you know, I heard about the Arduino. And it was the Atmel Atmega three twenty eight P chip that was out, and I'm like, "Fuck! I know this guy. I know how this works. I used to write for these things, and I started to embrace this culture again of open source hardware so, and low cost hardware.
1: So, for those who are uninitiated, how would you dis- what is an Arduino? It's
0: essentially a, a small microcontroller with inputs and outputs that allows people who are a part of the maker community to to do little make little machines.
2: Yeah, yeah. So, you know, if you go, you know, through the course of history, you know, the 50s and 60s, we had like previous generations playing with ham radios was the thing you did at home in electronics. Uh, And then, you know, kind of the 70s and 80s, and I remember having one as a child were these like big perforated electronics boards where you would just connect banana clips and alligator clips and make things beep. And it would tell you like, how to tune into a radio station and so on and so forth. And the Arduino really is—it's—it's it's a affordable means for experimenting on electronics. Like, I want to dabble, but I don't want to invest. Uh, I, I want to write a Hello World. I want to press a button, and make an LED blink. Um, and then beyond that, it becomes a Pandora's box if if you get interested in that.
0: Okay, and and, and oftentimes, uh, Arduinos are for really low production fabrication work. So if you're making a simple machine that you know you're only making one or two, it's very easy to take like a, a, a small chip from the Arduino system, like an ESP whatever, 8266 or something like that, um, and 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 burn firmware to it that then can be plugged into like a system that then allows you to communicate or to just take input and provide output. Uh, Once you're dealing with large quantities of chips and hardware, you you then move into the fabrication world of factories and things like that. But for small production lines, it works really easily to use an Arduino.
1: It's Lego for programmers. Lego for
0: programmers, yeah. Um, Anyway, so uh, Eugene started this Kickstarter for (laughs) a handheld Game Boy system, which... I didn't realize that there's a whole world of that going on. People who have ROMs of the Game Boy right. games, of various handheld systems, and you can basically do like a, you know, arcade cabinet, or you could make a tabletop that plays any game system as long as you have the correct number of buttons, right? Mm-hmm. And 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 uh, and joysticks. Eugene came out with this Kickstarter, and I just thought it was the coolest thing. I'd seen in such a long time, and you know I backed it obviously because i I'm a video game kid uh and it not because of me but it succeeded right
1: right
2: i I think you were the one you were the you were the pivot
1: you pushed it <laughs> over
2: <laughs> but you know you know to Thanks, to give you a little bit more insight mm-hmm. into that is you know i I've got a healthy mix of technology and working in technology and, you know, having, having, you know, the privilege of working in this industry uh, where you can get your hands on things relatively inexpensively and at the same time spent a lot of time working in advertising and marketing uh, companies that, you know, you kind of become this extroverted developer, extroverted technologist where you can actually speak to the technology and have other individuals being embracing it.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
2: and this was something, you know, I had actually built many times for myself or, like, at low production runs for colleagues. Uh, and it was, it was a friend of mine that said, like, dude, why don't you just throw this up on Kickstarter and see what happens? And I'm like, nah, Kickstarter, you know, like, I'm, I'm not really down with that. And what I had actually done is it was less the actual device and more the campaign around it, its ease of use. And number, you know, number one was the affordability, Uh, I actually set my goals solo. You know, you have companies that or individuals that go on Kickstarter and they're like, 100 grand in 30 days. You're like, dude, you're never going to get it unless you're like exploding kittens. Mm -hmm. Uh, That's not going to happen. And I'd set my original goal. I think it was, you know, and I thought for me it was going to be ambitious. I I set it at like $7,500 US, Mm -hmm. um, which would basically cover the cost. I wasn't making money on this. But also the number of...
0: Devices you were going to produce was not high, right? Yeah, like you were like, Oh, I'm going to make however many. We we banged out 250, right? But Um, that gave you within that amount of time, you got to stretch goals, you got to, right? Like that was the whole thing that was so amazing about it,
2: yeah. And you know, I've considered again running other Kickstarter campaigns. Uh, I don't know how much you guys want to get into politics about Kickstarter or any of this, you know, or if you want to have like a heartstring moment here. Um, (laughs) So as we, as I reached the goal, one of my stretch goals was like, hey, I'm going to put out this limited edition, uh, you know, with a logo on it from a colleague of mine and, or it's, you know, a family friend of ours out of Ottawa who was diagnosed with MLS. Uh, And we're like, you know what, we're going to raise money for this. And, you know, we're going to put a different logo on the PCB. We're going to release it, and we're going to make 100 of these, and we're going to sell them at no profit. And anything that comes from it is just going to go straight to, uh, you know, hospital campaigns and uh, awareness programs for that. It went out, and believe it or not, in two days, I actually sold out of that reward. Wow. And then Kickstarter came back, and I got this polite email that just said, no. Really? You can't do this. Read the T's and C's. Uh, but in the T's and C's, it only talks about, like, you can't have any religious affiliation or this or that. And it was a worthy cause uh, that, you know, I actually had to pull that reward and reimburse the individuals the money that they contributed. Oh,
0: that's such a bummer.
2: But I started getting emails. It's like, you know what? Can I still get that version of it? Uh, to to which we actually did release, I think it was about, like, 50 of them. Uh, right. and, and we gave them out to different, like, silent auctions <laughs> and things like that. So. It was it was a great moment, uh, a little bit of a shitty moment from Kickstarter, but yeah. hey, I I understand that that's their rules.
0: Well, and one of the one of the advantages now, uh, having done the successful Kickstarter, is it springboarded you into way more production work and yes. and and an evolution of the system. You know, like I think what was really interesting was seeing the original board was it felt very sort of clunky and whatever. And now you've got, like, what looks like a Game Boy in your hand. Yeah. You know?
2: Exactly. And, again, you know, coming from that advertising and marketing background is there's always the long play. And the long play wasn't the Kickstarter. It wasn't the original release of the board. The original release of the board was to build reputation and notoriety within the hacker and makerspace community that created a thirst where, you know, it was so low on features, uh, you know, it didn't even have a sound card. But I actually gave people a USB sound card that they can do whatever they They can solder it wherever they want. They can add volume potentiometers. Um, or break it. Or, I br- broke or break arm. it. Oh, I yeah. fixed a yeah. few of Hughes where it's like, <laughs> is this an RMA? I'm like, no. But it, I'll, I'll fix it and I'll give back to you. Um, but the feedback, you know, we were I was very, I got to stop using the Queen's English. I always refer to myself as We. Uh, I think it just makes it sound more professional, but I, um, So I actually listened to a lot of the feedback, but my, my stretch or my unicorn on this was to build it for the general consumer, right? So that someone can just pick it up off the shelf, plug it in and go download their pirated ROMs and illegal material and do whatever they want with. Um, I would write the operating system around it and all of the user interface, which was, you know, there was already a marketplace for the actual old gray brick Game Boy. Um, And I decided, you know, I'm going to tackle a market that doesn't exist. And that market is, if you remember, the Game Boy Pocket, which was a slimmer, smaller version of the big brick, which actually fit in your back pocket without looking like you're carrying a VHS tape in your back pocket. Um, For those younger in the audience, VHS tape, (laughs) just Google it. Uh, Not the movie VHS. VHS. That's a horror movie, but just Google VHS. We'll
1: put a we'll put an image in the description and you can you can look at it and try you to figure know, out what it yeah. is. What the hell is that? Yeah. So <laughs> you know, along
2: that stream, what I decided to do is, hey, you know, what's the next step is I'm not gonna go through Kickstarter. How am I gonna how am I gonna sell this? Um what are the marketplaces available? Yeah, I can do WooCommerce, I can go through Shopify. Uh, I can do it on my own. I can build my own website, my own backend and do, you know, PayPal. But there was a really established group uh, called Tindy, not to be confused with Tinder. Uh, so this is not a swipe left, swipe right. This is, Tindy is an electronics maker market uh, online where individuals sell their own wares, but it's through, it's facilitated through an organization. And that organization actually supports and they put in, you know, uh, if you have any issues with the product, they're there to do it. uh, And they'll actually remedy it. So if you have a problem, they'll actually take money out of your account and refund and reimburse the individual. And I had had a conversation with one of the individuals at Tindy. And what we spoke to is like, hey, here's the deal. I want to use you as my single source of truth for distribution. I'm not going to do this anywhere else. And I'm going to flow traffic through you. Um, You know, but that also comes with what my ask is my ask is, can I put pre-orders up? Pre-orders wasn't one of the things in their ecosystem. And they were like, eh, not yet. But what we'll let you do is we'll let you put a product up with no inventory. And then what happens is when you have no inventory, people put it on their wish list. They put it on their wait list. Right. And that kind of became uh, my I mean, my gauge at how many, right? how many I yeah. needed to produce. Uh, so the first version of... You know and again it's iterations 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 uh for those of you in the software industry iterations are relatively quick i can pivot daily i can pivot hourly when you're doing hardware it's i design the hardware i lay out all the traces i gather the components i send my spec out to china 10 days later i get blank circuit boards i solder them i test them oh shit! i forgot to do something lather rinse repeat so you're talking months uh you know just to get the right working iteration so that was that was great success, and on Tindy we had I had moved about. I think if you go to Tindy and you look me up, there's like six hundred and fifty sold. But that's customers. That's not units because right. certain certain customers would buy multiple units. Um, and then after that, yeah, it was just the next iteration, the next iteration with enhanced features. Can I? break? Yeah, this? go ahead. Excuse me. Please. I'm sorry.
0: Uh, I'm really curious about. Um... You now have a relationship with a supplier yeah. in uh, China. Was that relationship uh, started from the Gabozi stuff, or was that more about the 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 gamepad stuff you'd done before that? Had you already made that connection? Right. Oh my know? God. You're. I wonder. You're you're digging up old bones. So No, no, no. I'm before... not. No, 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 no. I mean, because 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 wasn't the weren't the gamepad things that was on Tindy yeah. as well? Yeah. So yeah, you already yeah. had a relationship with the Tindy people that that. Pre- preceded yeah. or predated the uh, G- Game Boy Zero stuff. But did did you also have a supplier? Was the supplier that you're dealing with now, like that, that that's a whole world now where you, know, yeah. you shut down for February, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, you're, you're taking Chinese <laughs> New Year and, you know... Um, your conversations are happening at weird times for you. And, yeah, so you we, we would be like,
2: you know, on their version of Skype or like, you know, uh, snap not Snapchat, WeChat, uh, where we're just doing like video calls, uh, audio calls. And it's actually a a colleague of mine that I used to work with here that moved back to China. I use him as a proxy and as my translator. Uh, So he's actually an electronics engineer. So I can send him the specs and he can do the negotiation and make sure that... I'm getting the best cost, uh, so it's actually having someone on the ground uh, yelling and arguing.
0: Well, well, because that that sort of thing is what the value of being able to pivot so quickly is the fact that you're not spending what what would amount to like oh I, I got to buy a bunch of buttons I got to buy a bunch of leads I'm gonna take my Arduino and I'm gonna do that. You can just say like you know this is the chip I'm gonna be using. I need you to set these. This is the these are the Eagle file. I need you to, to right, that, you know, right. make that uh, PCB for and, me.
2: And, and I love that you use, I have to buy a bunch. Um, so <laughs> so here I, I buy a bunch. Like I'll go to like local shops and I'll buy certain components, but I'll buy right. low quali- low quantity.
0: Yeah,
2: uh, I do use, you know, online suppliers like DigiKey and Mouser for bigger bill of materials, uh, you know, in the hundreds of dollars. And then I have my own supply for the next couple of months. Right. Uh, whereas, dealing with China, there's this magic thing called minimum order quantity. Um, so, for my latest my, my latest project, I was buying 2.6-inch uh, LCDs. Now, what's specific about those ones is most LCDs that are on the marketplace for consumers or hackers, tinkerers, uh, it are even though they're called 320 by 240 pixel aspect ratio, they're actually 240 by 320 because they're actual vertical orientation from old cell phones. Uh, I found a distributor that actually makes horizontal 320 by 240 and more of a 4 by 3 aspect than the, I think it's like a weird, like 5 to 3 ratio for, for the other ones. Anyway, uh... We often end up with a lot of supply (laughs) at home with boxes where it's, uh, you know, the supplier was like, yeah, cool, you only want 500 of these made, but the minimum order quantity is 2,000. Right. Yeah. But buying 2,000 is actually cheaper than buying 500. Yeah. Uh, It's, you know, and then my negotiation with them is like, cool, you're going to retain half of those in your stock and you're going to send me the other half. Yeah. So I actually do have about, you know, 500. LCDs at home that I'm not sure if I'm ever going to get through them in a lifetime.
0: <laughs> the funny thing about working in hardware, and, and and thanks to, you know, all the experiential stuff I've I've done, is uh, you start to recognize time versus quality versus uh, profit. So, you know, you may say like, oh, listen, I can order from DigiKey and it comes spanking fast, but it's really expensive, right? Because they keep that product on hand in the States. To, to send it out. Or, sorry, DigiKey's in uh, Windsor, right? is right. very similar. And then McMaster Car would be the big one that is like, they will only deliver to a business or a school. So if you're a private individual, you can't get them to deliver to you because one, you have to get an approved account, and two, you need to like actually be in business, right? And so dealing with China invariably, when you're not directly dealing with a Chinese manufacturer is you're dealing with, you know, AliExpress or Alibaba, and those delivery times are anywhere between 30 days and 90 days. And you have to just live with whatever it was you're going to do in terms of the delivery right. date, yeah. which is awful, but super cheap. <laughs> so right. If you're not in a rush, order from AliExpress. Every time I order from AliExpress, I'm like, eh, it'll get here. I'm not in a rush. I don't need that thing, you know? But dealing directly with the manufacturer, or through a proxy with with the manufacturer, right, right, you're able to cut your delivery time down by probably a, a, at least a couple of weeks, right, you know? right. And and also you know becoming a repeat customer, uh, you
2: start to get negotiation on your side as well, right. Where you can start dictating, uh, not not necessarily. I don't want to say I'm telling them how to do it because they are the experts. They are the professionals. They'll come back with like, hey. Did you mean to do this on your circuit board? And I'll say yes, I did. Please leave it. It's intentional. That you know that's way too close to the edge. Right. Uh, It's meant to be that way, and they'll accept that. Um, And I've had certain leverage was the word I was looking Mm. for as a repeat customer. And we actually picked one PCB manufacturing house, uh, an assembly house for ourselves. That what we can do now is when we go to get an RFQ from them. Rather than specifying the exact quantity, I'll just put in the notes. I'm like, hey, this is a note for this person. Have them get back to me with where the price break is. I'm looking to get these manufactured for less than fifteen dollars a piece. Because uh, then, what you want to do is, like you were saying, that you know, you're you're talking about profit margins. You're talking about, you know, there's. I once heard this magic number, which is the two point three times multiplier. That anything it costs you to produce something, you should be really selling for 2.3 times or 230%. So if I make something for 20 bucks, I should be selling it for $47.50 in order to break even. Because what that break even does is it gives me some money in my pocket to recoup the costs, my research, my time and also restock my shelves uh, with the components, and then be able to fund the next project. So it's a little bit of a zero balance uh, until you get to like huge numbers into the you know, tens of thousands manufacturing where I can break $10 a
0: piece. And th- th- this actually brings me to something that Stefan and I have talked about uh, in the past, and-, and generally it involves self-funded projects, right? The mm-hmm. idea that I'm gonna be out of pocket this much money to actually succeed with something. And the the biggest problem that you come up against is if I got twenty grand saved, let's pretend I actually can do that. <laughs> let's pretend I have twenty grand saved, and that twenty grand is meant to fund this project. Well, all the other money I need to take in to get through my life is not connected to that twenty grand, right? Right. So when you're dealing with hardware or stock or anything like that, you're primarily self funding. But you're allowing it to carry its own profit margins across, right, so you're Correct. when you sell it when you sell something it's it's not you may not be doing the two point three percent, yeah, right, but you may be doing or two point three well, multiplier uh, multiplier excuse me, but you might be doing a thing where you know that if you sell ten, you can buy thirty right right, because of the fact that although that amount of money isn't a, a multiplier of that. It just happens to work out that way. Exactly. And, you know, for anyone getting into that, um, we'll give you some financial advice here. Uh, and, and what well, I Well, this is, what, this and is act, what I'm trying to get to. Is, and, and let's actually, help some people. Cause, yeah. Because I think, I think one of the hardest parts that, we, that everybody goes through when they're especially uh, self-funding projects or, or getting started with this sort of thing, Kickstarter for a lot of people is the end goal. And I think that's right. what's mm. most interesting about that's what you did. Yeah, yeah, Your yeah. choice was, Kickstarter is not the end goal. Kickstarter is the start. Yeah. right. right. I, I, let, let me hit the
2: financial point. Until- I, I'm going to write a note for myself here that I actually <laughs> I actually want to talk about. you know uh, It's
1: interesting because um, uh, in, in my master's orientation, um, they were talking about this triangle of creativity, uh, technical. Expertise and business acumen, yeah, and that most people will have two of those and not yeah. the
2: third. If yeah, yeah, that holy trinity doesn't exist in anyone. You no. may have a little bit. Yeah, um, I, I do like the triangle analogy, and I've heard it before, and I've also seen it displayed as a Venn diagram, where it's yeah, it, it's oh, the okay. Ontario logo. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> uh, but the circles are different sizes, right? So it's more of those like radar charts, like where are my strengths and where do I need to learn.
1: I I need I need to I need to digress here because I really think that the Ontario logo was just somebody had a Venn diagram up on a on a on a on a slide presentation and they're like, "Frank, did you get that logo done for us?" Uh yeah, this is it right here. <laughs> That's your Venn diagram. Do you want to hear the real story of how that oh,
2: on, the, the, no. the, the three color Ontario logo was actually made? Um, and and you can call me on this, and we can meet up later. You and talk, can literally we can lie. make another podcast oh, about this.
1: Wow,
0: you can uh, lie about it, and we're gonna go. Wow, I'm as a, long I'm, as it was created I'm, enough. So the T Rex. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was actually so back. I think it was it was
2: actually done in like seventy three or seventy four. Do you gotta was, have
0: an exact date if you're gonna lie?
2: It, it was seventy three or seventy four. <laughs> it 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 precedes my existence. Uh, oh uh, Oh shit. no, there Here we go. Yeah, <laughs> by a couple of years, so and and I'm Quebec born, so I'm not that familiar. What happened is, you know, you had all these pitches for companies developing the Ontario logo, and the first company to come in, you know, the AV dude was setting up the the projector. Now the old school projectors had to align those RGB. three colors yeah. right colors. So as they turned it on, these three colors were sinking and created these three circles with three different colors, with the overlap being white in the middle because it's the mix of the seven colors. Mm-hmm. They started applauding. They're like, "Fuck, this guy mailed it! Just put the word Ontario <laughs> under it, and so, and we're done. We're so gold, Teamster." <laughs> so whoever the AV guy was that that did that, kudos Didn't to make him. An extra dime. But uh, he yeah. did get no. to leave
0: on time. Yeah, and he got his fucking break. <laughs> yeah. Hey honey, I
1: got an extra break today. It was brilliant.
0: Union I don't Union know. some I had, guy shook my hand I don't know yeah,
1: yeah. So,
2: let, let's rewind back to you know the free financial <laughs> advice I'm yes. going to give you, or how I systematically did it. Hugh, you mentioned the great just thing. Not there, a with the like
0: how I systematically did it. No
2: one, <laughs> no one has that amount of surplus equity uh, and liquid uh, cash sitting around ever,
0: ever, ever. Right? And I
2: totally get it. And this is why you go through things like GoFundMe or Kickstarter, you know, just to see if there's an appetite for that idea. But then you have to actually go and manufacture it, right? Right. Uh, whereas what I ended up doing on my second run and working with Tindy and working with China, now that this was like my third or fourth order with China, you can start negotiating installment plans rather than me ponying up $7,000 U S straight away. I know that it's going to take you six weeks to deliver this to my house. Let's do increments every two weeks. I'm going to pay you every two weeks. You're going to make money at the end of the day. And if they're cool with that, they're cool with that. Uh, it took a little bit of negotiation and, you know, I had to up the volume of what I was buying. And then the second piece of advice I'm going to give you is get a different credit card, get a credit card specifically for for that. Don't mix it with, you know, wine and dine or anything like that. Like I've got a separate card that is only for that. That Mm -hmm. way I can take a look at it. I can monitor and I can control it. Uh, learn your spreadsheets where you can put different price points. Uh, you know, you've got your inventory coming in. Let's say you set a target of $59 per unit. What's the what's the recoup on that? What are you going to do? And what that allows you to do mm-hmm. as well is, okay, if I only have 10% of my stock left and it's not moving as quickly as the other 90% did and it's still sitting here on my shelves but I'm ready to launch the next project, I can drop it by 10 bucks, And at right. $49, mm-hmm. I'm mm-hmm. still making enough money to recoup the cost of what it is. Yeah,
1: and I, I would I would say you can't stress how important those spreadsheets are. Enough. Yeah. I mean, I'm I'm a huge spreadsheet nerd. Hugh, I've talked to you about this before, my friend Adam Drake, mm-hmm. who got me into like tracking every single week of my life uh, for productivity and stress and all those things. Yeah and hours worked. And in at the end of twenty twenty I'll have ten years of data of how my year goes every year <laughs> it's a lot of all work and no play stuff of all. boy <laughs> basically but it's it's really interesting cuz you can you can see patterns like it's we like, can oh, do something
0: with that by the way what we should do something with that
1: like like, like, like an art exhibit
0: to csvs and, and mm-hmm. some yeah. let's let's
2: do some sentiment analysis oh. on that data and we yeah. can see like we know typically during January and February things died down a bit. Maybe you're experiencing sad, as most Canadians do. Mm-hmm. Um, so seasonally acquired disorder, depression, yep. whatever whatever the D stands for. Let's do it. Uh, it's a real thing. Yep. Right. Yep. And 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 I, then
0: in summer everything slowed down because you're lazy. Yeah. Yep. You know.
2: And but but this <laughs> this actually ties in really nicely to the hardware and the campaigns and running them. Uh, That's a good segue.
0: Yeah, to those (laughs) listening is, yeah,
2: we've given you a little bit of financial, we've talked about success, but, you know, it's it's also staying the course. Like, Mm -hmm. you are going to get bummed out. Um, You know, one of the latest projects that I'm working on, I've actually changed chipsets altogether, and I've moved to a different CPU that I'm using for my next launch, and we were, I was using, you know, a specific chip for communications between USB and the chip itself. It worked. It was fast, but it was not cost efficient. And I got bummed out because I, I bricked a bunch of these and I was like, fuck, this project's done, I'm not going to continue with this, and
0: give it a break, and you come back refreshed. And mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. so for the record, initially what, what Eugene was using was a Raspberry Pi Zero wireless. So it's a small board, it's a small computer, and now you're using a chip in which all the computing is happening on this small little chip. All the other bells and whistles that are required for a Raspberry Pi are gone. So he showed me with a yeah. startup mode of of his new board Versus my old one, he started his up, had to have been three minutes after mine started up. And mine was still going through its boot process and his went boop boop and it was like on Wow! in, in moments. So like I'm sure, I'm sure it sucked. I'm sure it sucked for you to break a bunch of chips and, and it, it wasn't satisfying. But I think one of the things that is, is most interesting to watch is your persistence. And it's, it's, yeah. it's all about not giving up. Giving up happens, and I'm sure you have moved on from certain aspects of this project in which you said, this isn't going to work. It's never going to work. I mean, the idea of recognizing one display over another and recognizing, right. you know, recognizing maybe one button over another or recognizing one switch over another or, you know, going through the process of building out 10 of something to find out that the thing that you soldered on is just a hunk of junk.
2: Yeah, you know? I've, I've got a desk drawer full of dead weight and you know what I use old PCBs or the circuit boards, printed circuit boards for uh, the, some of the smaller ones that I used to do is at one of the open source hardware things that I belong to, we actually used to use them as poker chips. <laughs> they're just like, these are dead projects and I'm never gonna use them. So it's like the blue one's worth this, the green one's worth this. Oh. But Dead you know, Projects poker. I really like that. Yeah. It's like... Yeah. But, but with that, you know, it's, it's the perseverance. It's staying the course. Yeah. Uh, I'm not going to say it's for all individuals. Uh, it's, it is definitely a personality thing or it's a trained behavior that what I typically map out, uh, I, I, I've heard it referred to as the double-ended pencil. So you have your point of departure and your point of arrival. I know where I am and I know where I want to get to right and this is for every project and that point of departure is your divergence and that middle chunk of the pencil the solid part is the journey that journey for a lot of people they map that journey I and mean, if it doesn't meet the project's derailed whereas working in a labs and now uh you know working professionally in a labs environment that journey doesn't exist that journey is mapped daily mm-hmm. right and it becomes fluid in the middle. What we thought was gonna take us six months, holy shit, I just found an incidental discovery we finished in three months. Or what I thought was gonna take a day actually took me five days because of these unknown unknowns. That if you don't necessarily plan the journey, you don't get disappointed. You know you're gonna arrive at your, at your point of arrival. Um, you know, an example of this would be is, hey, I'm gonna to drive to Montreal tomorrow. I know that where I'm leaving and I know where I'm arriving, but there's going to be traffic. There's going to be volume. There may be an accident. I may have to get off the 401. If I've planned my journey that I'm only taking the 401, I'm going to get upset and I'm going to be like, this this sucked. Whereas if you look at it as like, I know where I'm going. I know where I'm going to get to. Oh man, I got to get off the 401 and drive through like Lindsay, Ontario. You're like, never been here. want to stop at this cafe. Cool, right? And you're learning all these things. And that's part of that I think that hacker culture is the curiosity and it's part persistence, but also you're constantly willing to learn. Uh, you seek out other individuals that are like-minded. You find individuals who have their insights. They they provide you their
0: feedback. They're like, hey, you know what? Have you thought about doing it this way? Yeah, and that's entirely analogous to the, to the podcast. Right, know? totally. And not necessarily that we're persisting with doing the podcast, but I would say that Every time we would do a an episode in which we were talking about a creative project, we would have what we thought was this was the idea and over the course of however long that podcast episode took, we would discuss the idea that idea would in most cases change in a in fairly significant ways because we weren't interested in the final piece right we were really interested in the journey of that project, and I think that that's I think that's what what makes creative people creative in most cases is that they're willing to take the journey as being just part of getting to the end. Right. Right.
2: And that's fair. So in this, in, in, you know, in this episode, I know it's going to sound like, you know, we're just like rambling off about all these segues and comparisons and, you know, the nature of the beast. That is the how, podcast. How you get through here. <laughs> um, you know, I actually wrote down one of my notes here and I wrote down the name Bob Gould. Uh, For those of you familiar with Bob Gould, music, Sugar Cube, or Sugar was his band, and then he had solo albums. Um, You know, I love punk rock. Uh, I grew up on, like, SoCal punk rock. Uh, But in there, when you have music, and you have someone that creates hits, and they have one album and it smashes, right? The expectation is the next one's going to smash. But you get this culture as well where, like, hey, this album it doesn't sound like their old album or this album sounds exactly like the old album. It's nothing new. My approach to this technology to the hardware has been that kind of like oh, Husker Du was his other uh, other band. So it was Sugar, Husker Du, and Bob Mould. Okay, His approach was like, you know, you would buy this one album and be like, wow, this is great, I love it, it's so angsty, you buy the next one, it's like Pure Electronica, and you're like, what the fuck is he doing? Mm-hmm. But that's punk rock. Right? Mm-hmm. He's Punk rock isn't a genre. Punk rock was the style under which you conducted and created music, where it's like, hey, you know what? I'm glad you guys love the old album, but if you like my creative nature, my next album is metal. And you have fans that are just like, this guy's so creative, you know, it's similar to, you know, actors where you have, like, the stereotype. Like, they play the same, same actor and the same role in every, every movie. Yep. Uh, and then you have, what do they call Method actors. Character, the, yeah. character, character actors
1: that are, like, completely different, yep. you know. Uh, mm-hmm. But it, what I always find interesting is that neither of those is the path to success because you can be successful in either. And, uh, for instance, the way that I always talk about it uh, with designers when I was an art director um, and another, or when I was a creative director and, and, and a designer was saying, I want to become an art director because I eventually want to become a creative director because that's the path to success. And then I would say, well, you're a great designer. You're really good at design. Are you sure you want to be an art director where you're going to be spending only about half your time doing design and half your time directing others? I'm like, you have to really think about that. Right. If that's something that you want to do, if you want to lead people... Then you should definitely go down that path.
0: The problem is that oh, sorry, you no, didn't no, finish. I, what you I was just said. gonna I'm say,
1: sorry. you you can stay a designer your entire career, and just create, just design. Potentially, you become an art director in title, but you're not leading other people. You're just leading the the creative. But you're not you don't become a team leader. You you know, like a lot of freelancers, I would say somebody like um, G. Monk, is a designer. Mm-hmm. They design they don't spend time with with you know the the uh, creative direction of a company and, and leading the company or maybe they do but you you know what I, what i mean like yeah. a just sort of they become a highly uh, valued specialist i would think you more i would say
0: that's beeple yes right you're right he's a better... director now like he directs things like yeah. it's he isn't just a he directs teams, designer. but
1: Beeple works on his own. Yeah, Beeple of, works yeah. on his own. Fair yeah. enough. I think
0: Beeple's probably the guy you're talking about. I think what, what's interesting in, in a lot of cases, it, most especially when you're dealing with a, a, a smaller, insular group like, you know, working in an agency, is you're dealing with people that just see the creative director or the art director or whatever, the mm-hmm. CTO. Mm-hmm. The, those people are the people that make more money. And that's, right. that they're not considering the impact on their day-to-day as changing that dramatically. Because they're just like, that guy makes 50 grand more than I do. That's what I want to do.
1: Right. And but it, I think it's a short-sighted way to live, but it is how we lived as marketing people. I, and I would say that it's actually more of a short-sightedness on the part of the agency or the studio. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, because,
0: they, because they sell that as, yeah. you know, listen,
1: yeah. you're with us for a
0: couple of years or you know six months or whatever. You prove yourself and boom, you're going to be a Crave Director. Yeah. They don't explain to people that Crave Direction is a – task it's a thing that you do yeah. you know what i mean so we've seen creative directors come up where you know they're not really very good at it
1: yeah but they're promoted right. right. because yeah i like where you're I going feel like you're it, breaking like, into something like, no 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 because no. <laughs>
2: you know one thing that's always bothered me and it's how do you convey the message to individuals who want to be successful is number one is what is their measure of success? Is right. it monetary? Is it you know uh, property? Is it things they own? Accolades. Accolades. Yeah, yeah. Is it or is it notoriety? Is it being known in a community? Mm-hmm. Is it being the geek in the corner when people are like, "Oh my God, that's him." Yeah. And you're like, "Yeah, that's me. Cool, thanks." Um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, has that happened? to But, you? <laughs> but I, I, I'm gonna strangely. Do a segue here of, you know, my successes are actually based on my failures. And it's it's not that ethos that Facebook created, which was like fail fast, fail hard, fail early shit. Right? Fail often. I, shit. Fail often all the time, right? It was for me and the culture and the groups that I've been in is it's the affordance of failure. It's being sure. okay with failure and then accepting your failure take your downtime, recoup, figure out what you did wrong, and let's do the next one. There was a poem, I think it was like written in the 1971. <laughs> uh, true to fact. Thank you, I and, appreciate and that. And I do believe it, it was originally called Life is Queer, which was later changed uh, due to like 1980s homophobic reasons. To People are Strange. To <laughs> Life is Strange rather than Life oh, is Queer. That was close. Now... You know, growing up in my parents' house, we'd moved houses a few times, but in our guest bathroom toilet on the main floor that, you know, you only ever used if you had to run in and pee or anything like that, my parents had that poem on a plaque mounted on the inside of the door. So as you're sitting there on the can, this is the only thing you're reading. Hmm. And one of the lines that still resonates with me is, Success is failure turned inside out. And something, mm. something about a cloud of doubt and silver lining and bullshit. I don't remember the rest. <laughs> something, but something, that, something, That really stuck to you, me.
0: So you didn't poo that much in that bathroom. Otherwise, you would have known that inside I w- and out. I wouldn't, I wouldn't know.
2: I knew life is queer and success is failure turned inside out. And it stuck.
0: Right. And it was. It you was, know, the last line of that is don't believe anything I just wrote. <laughs>
2: yeah, you know, we should Google it. Uh, you know, we should Google it and look it out maybe I we totally, can end the show with okay, reading sorry. it. Hold on.
0: I totally agree with that sentiment though. Like I think that – I think oftentimes the problem is that when people it's, – it's the measure of failure. It's, it, how do you decide that that failure was the thing that put you over the edge? Like you can no longer work on this thing because I failed. Like I have, I have broken so many things. I've made so many mistakes but it hasn't stopped me from continuing. Right. And I mean that literally me. Like I have done that. So I think I think oftentimes what 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 we mistake as failure is is just a it's a setback. Yeah. Failure is is a loss. Failure is something that you can no longer do, right? So we call something failure but it's just a setback.
2: Right. You know what I mean? Right. And and you know in software, you know, if you compare hardware to software and failures again, uh your your failures in software are soft, pun intended. Yeah. Uh, and hardware is hard for a reason. Uh, in software, you know, when I'm doing like web development or like middleware development, APIs, anything like that, I've got this debug tool that's yeah. live. I've got a console that tells me what I'm doing wrong, or yeah, yeah. where it's not getting services from. When you're dealing with designing hardware and then later programming for that chipset mm-hmm. in a compiled language, unless you're spitting out error logs, you don't know what's going wrong. Yeah. It's like, did I use the wrong capacitor? And I love <laughs> hearing from other individuals such as yourself where it almost sounds to me like you go into your projects knowing it's not going to work the first time. Oh, that yeah. You're going to have to try and try again. It's like, ooh, I got magic smoke out of that one, uh, yeah. which is an electronics hardware joke where you're just like you get the poof and you're like, yeah, oh. that one's going in the garbage. Um, I, th- I think maybe in all of my illustrious career, I've had once, where I actually got and designed a circuit board, got it manufactured, got all the parts and it worked the first time and I, I actually like soldered it up, booted it up flashed the firmware on it, it, it spun up and it ran and I was like yo, this is voodoo, I'm out of here. <laughs> I unplugged it, I closed my, la- I committed my my code and designs to GitHub that's a plug for GitHub um, and, and I walked away, I, I did I was like, this doesn't happen. This is right. lightning, and it doesn't happen. Like you no know, part of, part of hardware is iteration.
0: Well, and we talk about that with yeah. writing oftentimes. Like the the whole point of editing is the distillation of an idea, and I think that that's what programming is as well. That's what hardware is. Hardware often you will say, "I need this, 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 this," and that your bill of materials is a broad spectrum of things. And as you create and as you iterate, you realize I didn't need five of those things. Right. You know, I can build this with just this. Mm-hmm. Like, you would not have instantly chosen the chips that you chose. You know what I mean? Like, you went right. with what you knew was a tried and true solution yeah. using the Raspberry Pi Zero. Mm-hmm. Whereas, this episode brought to you by Raspberry Pi. Raspberry <laughs> Pi for all your buying. <laughs> you guys are making me
1: hungry for dessert.
0: Blimey, they're out of the UK. Um,
2: <laughs> but you're absolutely correct and it's, you know, you pick a chip. That you're going to work with, like a like a microcontroller or uh, you know a CPU that you're going to work with. You go, you find the white sheet, you find the spec sheet, you read all the things. Uh, COM chips, they're like, we have these LEDs connected to it that tell you when information's coming and going, kind of like a modem. And then you realize you're like, hold on, I just designed this. It has four additional components, which are resistors and LEDs that tell me when it's broadcasting and receiving data and it goes into a closed case and you never see those LEDs. Yeah. You're like, why do I need them? I can save myself pennies. Yeah. You know, at mass volume and it does count, right? So those are those are hardware considerations as well as there is the spec sheet, but then do I actually need those components? Yeah. Right? Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. So I feel close to a like it's the penultimate comment slash question. Mm. I I don't know, Stefan, I feel like you, because you're not a hardware guy necessarily, but I think what's interesting is that you deal with hardware all the time. Yeah. But you're not a hardware nerd.
1: No. And, I mean, my, my knowledge of hardware is definitely limited. I know what things do. Mm-hmm. I kind of know the general area we need to be looking at to get stuff. But I always work with engineers and technologists and get there. And trust them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. That's their job. I mean, I was just on a call today where I kept having to say, I feel like I'm speaking for you, but I think this is what we have to do, you know, in our next three steps in this project. And, you know, tell me if I'm wrong because I might be.
0: But also, I mean, part of that is that that in, in, a, in a number of cases, the the hardware, the tech guy mm-hmm. doesn't like speaking up. And, and often they'll want to either just let the other person make the assumption and then just correct them really quickly so they can move on. But they're not a talker. You're you're you got the gift of gab. I mean let's let's be a Yeah, I was really, gonna say
1: Eugene you're a rare breed. <laughs> Thank you. Thank
0: you. <laughs> but part of that would be having grown up having moved, having uh you know spent time as a youth in a different country, being part of a, a culture of uh showmanship yeah with the BMX riding. And then generally hanging out with a bunch of roughhouses that are tattooers. So you know yeah. your your background your background lends itself to being a social person. I you know
2: not gonna lie there is a little bit of that gift of the gab uh, which comes with both positive. You and don't negatives. have
0: to you don't have to acknowledge it. We know. <laughs> yeah,
2: I, you know th- there is the negative side of it, or we'll call it like the people I no longer talk to. Um, <laughs> or at at
1: thanks <laughs> you
2: was you know someone once made an offer mark. They're like, oh, 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 don't ask you the time because he'll tell you how to build a watch.
0: Uh-huh. And,
2: but from my end, it's... I'm gonna, that was our last guess. That, that, that was... That uh, hurt. Scott. That hurt. I'm going <laughs> to tell you how to build a watch that's right. so that you never have to ask me again. It was yeah. all
0: about empowerment. Teach yeah, a man right? to fish. Yeah. That's all right. What, that's what we're talking about. Yeah. Teaching the newest Amanda
1: one fish. is teach a man to Google. <laughs> Let me what, What's that? the LMTG,
2: yeah. let me Google that yeah. for you? <laughs> yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. And here's the little mouse moving. And, a here.
2: lot
0: a lot of times when someone asks me a question that I know could have been Googled, I will Google it and then send them the Google result link and just go like, here you go. And they're like, did you just Google it? I'm like, well, that's how I get my information. You know? <laughs> I know you think I'm super smart, but there you go. Yeah. Yeah. So I, it's always like Google.com result equals. <laughs> you know? like, there you go. Knock yourself out. You know... Po- yeah, it's Oh, geez, are like, settling in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's, it, it's the, you know,
2: how do you, I, I think, you know, that conversational part of it is not just, it's really being comfortable, not your subject matter that you're speaking to, but it's being comfortable with who you are. Yes. Mm-hmm. And and it's being able to accept all of your awkwardness and your oddities and, the, like, I talk with my hands a lot. Uh, you know, I'm baking cake all the time, you know, with my hands. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm moving things in and out of the oven when I talk to people. Right. Um, you know. And a lot of this was, you're right, you know, I've spent a lot of time in different niches and different cultures, whether it be, like, music, punk rock, skateboarding, BMX, uh, later on, like, all the gearheads. But to gain information and gain insight, you know, you, you go to car rodeos and you're, like, you got to be able to talk to your, about your car and what you did. Yeah, yeah. Because if you don't, then you're a fraud. You just got a mechanic to do it for you and get off my lot. Like, you got to be able to stand up. Right? Yeah. Same thing as, like, to a certain extent, I know this exists in, like, web development. It used to exist in Flash. Like, if you just made something accidentally, it was really cool. It's <laughs> spending time in different cultures, spending time in different ecosystems well, also you listen embracing it. So,
0: so just, just as a, you know, this is going to close that loop. But um, the other thing that, that I found really interesting, and, and it's about your foresight, It's the way you look for the next step. Yeah. And one of the things, the conversations we had, was you were working for a fairly large company. Correct. And uh, I said, how did you do that? Like, how did you go from being a developer to doing this other thing? And you said, I focused on documentation. I focused on writing. Right. And it was one of the things that, it is one of the things that we don't, as developers, focus on that much. We don't focus on documentation because we just create the result, you know? But what you did was you created the communication stream from the developer to the people that sell those things or the people that have to understand it in order to talk about the ROI, to talk about where that product's going to end up. And that, would, that, I think, involved quite a bit of foresight. The idea that I, I'm not just creating this thing. I'm not just writing a program. I'm going to write the documentation behind the program so that you can understand why I yeah. wrote, that, I wrote yeah. that program. Yeah, and, and, and to that point,
2: too, is back to the whole you know, joke analogy of like, ask me the time, I'll tell you how to build a watch, is I do really believe like being in that open source community that it is empowering the individual on the receiving end. Like, Hugh, you got one of my Kickstarter kits and you started putting it together and you are like, I don't know what I'm doing or I'm missing something. What Mm -hmm. do I do? I wish I had this. And you reach out and I'm like, hey, that's great. And, you know, I can do it for you. Or I can lead you and say, hey, have you considered this? Have you considered moving this component? That all of a sudden you become more enlightened and empowered that I take on more of that mentorship role than a teacher role. I'm not just giving you the stream of what yeah, you need to know. I mean,
0: the thing that I messed up was the sound card and I swapped the the leads. And I was like, I'm totally, I don't know what I'm doing. I'm totally gone. And I just swapped the leads. So when I showed up, he goes, oh, there you go. And I was like, oh. But if I just taken a picture and showed him, you likely would have just responded with, "You need to swap your leads." Yeah, you know what I mean. Like it was, it was a fairly simple fix. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I you know. Like it's, uh, yeah, I don't know. You're a helpful guy. Thank you, thank you. I and think it, I think it's a, I think it's telling of a life spent working.
1: <laughs>
0: it's,
2: yeah, it's it's the uh, leave a penny, take a penny. You know what you take from the community, give twice back. Yeah.
1: Yeah right. Eugene, thanks so much for being on the <laughs> yeah, show. thank you guys. Uh, I, I mean, this was a whirlwind conversation, but uh, uh, and I learned a lot about technology. I feel like I can program now. No, uh, I can build hardware. You could you could buy hardware. I can. I feel like I can buy hardware now. Yes. And uh, and then bring it all to Hugh's house and have him help no, me. No, bring yeah. it to yeah. Eugene.
0: Bring it to Eugene, because <laughs> he works in SMDs, <laughs> which are small components, which I just can't. I can't do it. Yeah. My it's hands your don't big have hands. Feeling. No, no not big hands. Just oh. non-feeling hands. Oh, it's your calloused hands. Mm-hmm. Man hands. Calloused heart. <laughs> no, you know, I... I, I well, he pre- sells a product is the
2: point. Yeah. is, is what I was trying to say. I, I really appreciate the time <laughs> with you guys today and being able to, you know, shed light on part of my story, part of the success and how it came about. Um,
0: just look forward to more of it. So you could sell this. Oh. Oh, Oh, my goodness. What a twist. <laughs> what a twist. <laughs> Anyways, okay. yeah, dude, yeah. I really thank you. Eugene. Yeah, no, I, pre- I appreciate it. appreciate a lot. And that's it from all of us here at Can't Sell This. This episode of Can't Sell This was produced in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. All creative content contained in this episode is copyright Stefan Grambart and Hugh Elliott. Intro voice by Jeff Wright. Intro music track is Energy by Not Of from their 2015 album Peak. Questions or comments can be sent to admin at can't Any other information can be found at can't